Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today as we try to study the Bible with you. Hopefully all of us learn a little bit more about our Bibles. Uh, the way we operate is we answer your questions. So if you're a first-time viewer, you'll see at the bottom of the screen a phone number and a website. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. Uh, maybe there's something you've always wondered about the Bible. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you wonder, what would the Bible have to say about that? What should I do? Uh, we'd be happy to try to find an answer in the Bible to any of those kind of questions. So let us know, and you direct the program, and we'll try to answer your questions. Uh, Toby Levering is here to help me answer questions. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. We've got uh, lots of good ones like we do every week, but all our, our viewers get a question first. So here's your question for the day. What angel... I made the announcement to Mary. We need the name of that angel, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. All right, let's answer a few of them here, and I think, Toby, you get to start us off. Okay. Uh, the uh, I think, actually, this may be your question. You know what? It is. <laughs> How about I <laughs> pass why, it back to that's you? Why, that's why you don't want to answer it. <laughs> let me handle this one. <laughs> Was Judas forgiven for betraying Jesus? Uh, there is no indication that he was forgiven. In fact, there's quite a few indications that he was not forgiven. Uh, Matthew 26:24, Jesus said, Woe to the one who betrays the Son of God. Uh, it would be better if he had never been born. So uh, Jesus kind of indicates that... Judas's uh, ultimate destiny is not going to be a good one. Uh, let's look at one verse in uh, John chapter 17 that I think will clear this up for you. Uh, Jesus said, "While I was with them, he's talking about being the apostle, the being with the apostles, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled." So he said that all the apostles had been had come through all right and would be saved, uh, except for the one that betrayed him because Scripture prophesied it. So no indication that Judas was ever forgiven. Uh, we know he was remorseful, uh, but there's no indication that he was ever repentant. Uh, he was sorry for what he had done, but uh, no indication that he repented or tried to change. Uh, he committed suicide and... That's the end of his story on this earth. Eternally, I think he's doomed. Okay. Now your turn. I'll take this let's, one. Let's How about that? I, the other one would have been okay, too. But, uh, <laughs> you could answer Let's that. see. Let's see. Uh, the question is, did Jesus die on the cross for everyone or only for a limited number? Okay, well, this is a theolo 
theological question. Some people believe in a doctrine called limited atonement. In other words, that Jesus' sacrifice was only for a certain select group of people and for them alone. We believe, and I think biblically this is true, that Jesus' sacrifice was for everyone. In other words, it was offered to everyone for the whole world. Uh, John 3.16, the well-known verse, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So it, it was open to everyone. Now, uh, the, the choice whether or not people will accept God's gift of grace through His Son, uh, of course, is up to them. Of course, not everyone will, and we know that. Uh, it's, a, it's a matter of free will. God uh, makes His grace available, opens it to us uh, through Jesus. We have an atoning sacrifice that is uh, available to uh, all human beings, as, and uh, no matter how great or how small they may think their sins are, uh, there's only one atoning sacrifice for the sin, and that's through the Son, uh, Jesus the Christ. Uh, let's look at a scripture from 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So it's for everyone. It's up to uh, everyone individually as to whether or not they will accept the free gr- gift of grace. Hope that helps you. All right, good answer. I, I think it's my turn again. I yeah, uh, get, well, you know, uh, just back and forth kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, for your information, we take turns starting each week, and so I got a fifty-fifty chance of being right. Yeah, but, there you go. Uh, now, that's how it works. I forgot today. <laughs> All right, question about the New Testament uh, when it came into being. Were all of the Old Testament laws changed, <clears throat> or were some kept? All right, well, there's sometimes a lot of confusion over what part of the Old Testament is still in effect. And uh, some people, when we say the law has been taken out of the way, they get upset. They think the Ten Commandments uh, ought to still be in effect. Uh, Here's the good way to think about it. If you have a will or a contract, a legal contract, or uh, your last will and testament, that's a pretty good clue to Old Testament and New Testament. If you have a last will and testament uh, or a contract and you make a new one, uh, go to your lawyer and get notarized and all that, well, the old one is all gone. It's all taken out of effect. Now, there might be some parts of that that you repeat in the new one. In fact, there probably will be. Uh, You may just change parts of it. Well, so legally, technically, all of it is canceled. All of it's gone, the old one. But some of it may be repeated in the new one. Uh, That's kind of the way the Old Testament and the New Testament work. The Old Testament had a lot of different kinds of laws in it. Uh, Some were moral laws, like the Ten Commandments. Don't steal, don't covet, don't lie. Uh, All of those were just plain moral laws that God said this is the way the world works best. Uh, Some of them were worship laws, uh, telling the Old Testament Jews, here's how you worship. Uh, The priests do this, and you go to the temple, and you do this, and uh, the sacrifices, and all of that. So there were some worship laws. 
And then there were a lot of uh, basic living laws that were intended to keep the Jews separate from all other nations. Uh, dietary laws and sanitary laws and a lot of those kind of things that were designed to keep them separate from all other nations. Okay. When the Old Testament was taken out of the way, and we'll look at the verses that say that in just a moment, all of those technically were taken away, canceled. The New Testament <coughs> repeats a lot of the moral laws. They are repeated and reinforced in the New Testament. Uh, the worship laws are not repeated. Uh, the dietary laws, the sanitary laws are not repeated. Okay? So I think that's a good way to look at our viewers' question where all the laws changed or some of them kept. All were canceled. Some are repeated in the New Testament. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The one about keeping the Sabbath is not repeated in the New Testament. All right, let's look at some scriptures that clearly say the old law is gone. I <clears throat> picked three different scriptures in Romans 10, uh, verse 4. <clears throat> it says, Christ is the end of the law. Galatians 3.25 says, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. And Ephesians 2.15 said, By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So, all of the Old Testament's been canceled. Some of the moral laws and things like that are repeated in the New Testament, but uh, all the Old Testament's canceled. Uh, we have a study course that we send to people if they want to study the Bible and learn how to study the Bible. And that's where it starts, is with the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, here's a picture of the first course that we'll send you if you want to study with Know Your Bible Study Tools. And you see the first two there, Old Testament, New Testament. You, you learn that difference. Then we've got <clears throat> more advanced courses that you can keep studying for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. And we've recently added an online course that is a good way to study the Bible. Uh, do that with your electronic device instead of waiting for the mail to come and filling out paper and remailing it and all that. Uh, if you're of the generation that likes to do things online, we've got a way to study the Bible. So uh, log on to that website you see there. <clears throat> They'll hook you up with our course, and you can start studying the Bible on your phone or your tablet. Uh, great way to study the Bible, non-denominational, absolutely free of charge, just a good way to study the Bible. All right, Toby. Okay, I had a question about Jacob's Ladder. <clears throat> What is Jacob's Ladder, and where is that found? Perhaps you've heard that term before. It is a biblical term. It comes from, actually, a story in Genesis. Genesis chapter 28, we read the story of a man named Jacob, uh, who was, by the way, the grandson of the biblical patriarch, uh, Abraham. Was Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob. And <clears throat> during his, um, he had a little bit of a squabble with his brother, Esau, and as he was fleeing from Esau, uh, there is an account of a vision he had. And this is found again in Genesis chapter 28. Let's look at it on the screen. You can read a part of this. Jacob left Beersheba 
and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And so this is the vision. This is what we call Jacob's ladder. Uh, uh, you say, well, it's a stairway. Well, it's it's the idea uh, that the uh, this was a connection between heaven and earth, and God is revealing Himself to Jacob and confirming this covenant that He's uh, given not to only to His grandfather Abraham, but to His father Isaac and to Him, and He's confirming that covenant. Uh, that he made with them, with Israel, which is what his dad was, Jacob was named Israel, renamed in that covenant. And uh, he's confirming to him that that promise is going to continue uh, through Jacob. So uh, Jacob sees this uh, ladder or the stairway, and the Hebrew word is salam, which simply means a connection between God and man. And I like that idea. It's kind of interesting to think about a vision and what that may have looked like. Of course, there's many artists that have uh, captured that and tried to portray what it may have looked like. We just don't know. Of course, the Bible doesn't come uh, with pictures. But what we do need to understand is that there is a connection. That covenant was about a reconnecting on what we had separated back in the garden. And God is making his first of many as he seeks us out and he builds this connection between us and uh, between he and us. And uh, this began with the covenant that he made to Abraham. Uh, Jesus, of course, is our true and better ladder, our true and better connection. Uh, The only connection now, the only way to the Father, according to Jesus himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Jacob's ladder originates in Genesis 28 and is fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. I hope that helps you. Okay. Uh, question, a little history question here. If you ever want to know who were the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees, uh, this viewer's obviously been reading the four Gospels because uh, the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees come up all the time. And they're almost always picking on Jesus, or Jesus is picking on them. Uh, They make a lot of trouble for Jesus, ask him questions, try to trap him, uh, eventually end up uniting to have him crucified. So they're all through the Gospels and on into the book of Acts, for that matter. And it does help if you understand a little bit about who they were. The scribes were kind of the academics uh, the the scholars, they were educated, they studied the Old Testament scriptures, uh, they wrote commentaries about them, they knew all the details of the law. So the scribes were kind of an academic, theological class. Uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees were a little more like political parties. Uh, not exactly, because the Jews in that day uh, were under a theocracy. They kind of governed themselves, but they also had God as the head of the government in one sense. So uh, we read about a thing called the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council, and it was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, which were sort of like political parties. Now, on top of that, Rome was over the whole thing, and uh, 
ruled the Jews at that time. But let's talk about the Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees were the more middle class. Sadducees were the more wealthy group of uh, representatives, shall we say. Uh, The Pharisees were very strict. Uh, They were dedicated to following the law, dedicated to keeping all the old oral traditions. Uh, They were sticklers. They were legalistic, if you will. Uh, They were very conservative. The law said it. Here's what we've got to do. Uh, They were hypocrites. Uh, They ignored the big parts like mercy and uh, all of that, but they followed all the details. The Sadducees were a more liberal bunch. Uh, They were a lot more closely associated with Rome uh, politically and tried to please Rome. Uh, They didn't believe in a resurrection and an afterlife. They didn't believe in angels. Uh, They had some odd ideas about theology. Uh, But I think that's the best way to think of them. They were kind of two political parties at at the time. Now, when Jesus first came on the scene, uh, he upset the Pharisees. And the Pharisees didn't like him because they were such strict religious uh, followers that every time he did something, they saw if he was breaking some oral tradition. And the Sadducees didn't worry about him much. But later, when he started to gain a following and thousands of people were following him around, then he became a political threat. And so the Sadducees got uh, on the bad side. And the Sadducees and Pharisees, who didn't get along on many things, united against Jesus. So as you read through the Gospels, kind of watch that. Uh, the Pharisees start out picking on him. And then pretty soon the Sadducees join in, and they together uh, conspire to get him crucified. So that's who the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees were, and I hope that helps you understand the Gospels and the book of Acts as you read through and uh, see who those characters were. Okay, a question about the Trinity. A viewer asks, uh, in Genesis chapter 126, God said, let us make man in our own image. Does this mean there is more than one God? There is only one God. However, how we think of God uh, is different than uh, what the scriptures describe. Yes, one God, uh, three different parts. Not not three different gods. They are all uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all together God. And so in Genesis, when when it says, let us is speaking about the Father, God, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit, together, us, let us make, uh, let us create man in our image, meaning there is a, uh, we are an eternal component of us, a spiritual part of us, different and separate from the animals. Uh, There is only one God. When you look throughout the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you see that there is only one God, and he takes three forms, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How can that one be three? This is only a human example, so it will fall short, but just think of an example myself, personally, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm also a son. And so I have 
in one person, three different roles or three different ways in which I'm seen depending on who I'm with. So that, uh, that's not a, uh, a perfect example, but we understand that that can uh, happen in a human sense, and uh, this certainly is true in the divine sense. All three are different, separate persons of the Godhead, and yet there is only one God. Uh, the theological term for this, not a biblical term, but the word we use to describe that is the Trinity. Um, there are several scriptures that mention that. Of course, the Great Commission, uh, Bab- Matthew 28, go and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said uh, when he was in ministry, he said in John 10, I and the Father are one. Uh, at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. Of course, Jesus was there. There's the voice of God. There's the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. So we see the three working together, but working in different ways throughout the pages of Scripture. So, no, there are not three gods, just one. But he manifests himself uh, in different forms as we look at the story of God and man. So I hope that helps. Uh, It's a complicated, it's deep, it's not easy to understand, uh, but God is, uh, there's just one, and uh, He is divine and worthy of worship and our praise. Hope that helps. All righty, thank you. We are kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to invite you to visit the Church of Christ every once in a while. Each uh, week we talk about uh, one or two that have sponsored us and kept us on the air. And let me mention a couple from uh, Kansas today, Sylvia and Isabel. Both small towns in Kansas, but they've both got fine congregations of the Church of Christ. And both of them are supporters of Know Your Bible, and we appreciate their help. Uh, if you live in one of those communities or close to them, and, uh, well, certainly if you're looking for a church home, I know you'd be warmly welcomed at either one of those groups, but uh, maybe you know somebody that goes to the Church of Christ and Sylvia or Isabel, and uh, if so, tell them this week. So I, I saw you guys on Know Your Bible. I appreciate you keeping that program on the air. Uh, thank them for us. Uh, whatever market you live in, wherever you're watching, know your Bible. There's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Uh, we invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. Thank you for the program. Thank them for the program. And uh, if you're looking for a church home, you'd find a group of people that think and study the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. Uh, so drop in and visit them, and you'll be warmly welcome. All right. Got a- Classic question here. Can God make a rock too heavy for him to lift? Okay, this is kind of philosophy 101, uh, or logic 101, I guess, and this is kind of a classic question that uh, sometimes skeptics will use to confuse a young Christian. Say, oh, you believe God's omnipotent, right? Well, yes, he's omnipotent. He can do anything. Uh, well, can he make a rock that's too big for him to lift? And it's kind of a trick question. Uh, it's an illogical question is what it is, but let's call it a trick question because if you say, well, yeah, God's all-powerful, uh, he can make a rock that's too heavy for him to lift. Oh, well, he couldn't lift it, then he's not omnipotent. And you say, well, no, let me think about it. Okay, he can't make a rock that's too big for him to lift. 
Well, if he can't make a rock that big, then he's not omnipotent. Uh, he doesn't have enough power. And so you see, however you answer it, the answer is that God's not all-powerful. Well, the trick to it is that when you say omnipotent, all-powerful, unlimited power, that doesn't mean that someone can do anything. It means they can do anything that's possible to do. There are some things that are not possible. Uh, you cannot make yellow red. Uh, yellow is yellow. Now, you can dye something red, but you can't make the essence, the, the light spectrum that is yellow, you can't make that red. That's, that's not a possibility. Okay, and that's the answer to this riddle or this philosophy 101 kind of question. Uh, to make a rock that's too big for an all-powerful being to lift, that rock would have to be infinitely large to be larger than an infinite lifting power. And you can't make a material object infinitely large. That material object has to have some size, some limit. So I, I realize that's kind of... <laughs> a bunch of rambling around about logic and thinking, but uh, that's the answer to the question. It's an impossibility uh, physically in this world to even think about such a question. So if somebody tries that kind of kindergarten riddle on you, uh, you know the answer now. No, he can't because you can't make an infinitely large material object. Okay, that's little off the track today but well, you know that's philosophy. <laughs> somebody asked yeah somebody that's asked. it yeah that's right all right good okay time for move, one. moving from the very deep to uh, financial which is the kind of we get all sorts of questions uh, does the bible teach about co-signing loans or about being a guarantee a guarantor for someone uh yes there is a proverb about that the bible has lots of Wisdom and the Proverbs is uh, are are, are uh, truisms written mostly by Solomon, the wise man, and he wrote about all matters of life, uh, and he brought God into a lot of it. And um, so, a cosigner is somebody who just basically uh, assumes the risk for someone else. Uh, if you have a, if you're going to apply for a loan, people who lend money are pretty much experts on how much risk to uh, give out with the money that they lend to others and they've uh, determined that a person is not a good risk that the only way they take on this risk is to have someone else guarantee uh, payment in the event that the person who's asking for the money should default um, so just at the on the surface level it doesn't you know it seems like probably not the wisest thing to do and that's what proverbs chapter 17 verse 18 indicates let's look at that on the screen uh, one translation says one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor uh, the contemporary english version is a little more direct it says it's stupid to guarantee someone else's loan and so uh, that's what the proverb says it's, it's probably unwise uh, I'm not sure that it's sinful, but uh, it is a uh, unwise thing to do, financially speaking, from the scriptures. So, if that helps you.
All righty, thank you. Uh, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And that question is, what angel made the announcement to Mary? And the answer is Gabriel. Gabriel is one of the only two angels that we have a name for in the in the Bible. And Gabriel shows up a couple of times. So he was the one that made the announcement. We're glad you've been with us today. And we're going to invite you back next week. Until then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.